2: from the abraham lincoln radio studio at the george washington broadcast center jack armstrong and joe getty the armstrong and getty show
3: i'm gonna call this breaking news breaking stupid and stupidity news that's what i'll call it
4: breaking stupidity news <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate that a jackass should bring. we've reached we've reached peak
3: craziness. So if you ever buy a Mother's Day card, Father's Day card, birthday card, any kind of greeting card, there are there are a couple of things that are very, very popular. Dogs and cats. Sure. Monkeys are very popular. No more. No more monkeys on greeting cards. What? Peta pressured CVS. And they're pulling all greeting cards that has any kind of monkey, chimpanzee, ape, or anything on it from their 10,000 stores. Because it's leading people to believe that monkeys are doing great in the world and they're actually endangered in parts of the world. And we don't want to have people thinking that a monkey in a hat saying somebody's 40 or whatever it says on the card.
4: Okay. All right. Here's where I, here's the disconnect. Everybody knows, or I thought everybody knows that PETA doesn't give a crap about any of these things. They're geniuses at getting publicity. And people chuckle and say, PETA wants to rename the bullpen the arm barn, which is actually pretty damn clever. I know people in Major League Baseball who thought that was really funny. Everybody knows they just want attention. You want them to say their, their name, but for uh, the, the card company to, to buckle under, they don't even mean it.
3: No monkeying around this Christmas and you got a bunch of monkeys in Christmas hats. You can't have that anymore. Because, (sighs) yeah, you're right. You're you're absolutely right. Peta did this thinking they'd get publicity for something so over the top stupid. Right. That's why Peta announced this and CVS said, you're right. We shouldn't have chimps, monkeys, apes, or anything on greeting cards. And they pulled them out of their 10,000 stores. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. There's plenty of other themes you can go with, but it just shows how freaking mo- we're stupid. We're, we're a stupid people doing stupid things.
4: Well, and we're terrified of each other, too. And we're apparently. terrified. You know, I don't know that this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but I gotta contemplate it for a little while.
3: See, Peta says these qu- sort of things all the time. I'll hit you with a quote. Chimpanzees aren't models or props. And photos of them wearing Santa hats or sitting at the holiday table put these endangered animals at risk. That's the sort of thing... At risk of what? (laughs) That's the sort of thing PETA has been saying forever. And everybody laughs. And most of us say, man, they're good at getting publicity. But CVS actually said, "Uh uh-oh, PETA's angry. We might get in trouble with who? And so imagine how much time it took... To go through the aisles and get all the monkey cards out of there. That'd be half the cards
4: uh, out of 10,000 stores. Did they decide to remove the monkey cards in a monkey court? I mean, I should asked Michael to get that clip. How, ring, how far
3: do you go with this? Uh, you know... The way people, some people abuse dogs and cats. You can't have dogs and cats on cards. You can't have babies on cards because not everybody can have a baby and it hurts the feelings of people who have been trying forever with infertility. I and mean, just, I mean, you could take it to every extreme. You can't have anything.
4: Often, uh, squirrels fall out of trees and are run over by cars. So we're discontinuing our line of hold on to your nuts. I've turned 60 card line. <laughs>
0: Well, the gentleman mean, yield? No, I will not yield to this monkey court or whatever this thing this is. This is not a monkey court.
4: Obviously, we need to have no more monkey courts. It puts monkeys in danger. Wow. something. CVS. you That's so weak. You're embarrassing. Next time I got the hemorrhoids, I'm getting my cream somewhere else. I mean, I am just, I'm not going to patronize you. you, you cow towers. The you, next
3: you time I get hemorrhoids. I'll get my cream somewhere else. What now? One other story I wanted to hit. Harley-Davidson has spun off its electric motor- motorcycle division. It's now on its own. But as a motorcycle rider and a guy who currently drives an electric car, I have not ridden an electric motorcycle. I would think it would be damn near terrifying, as this electric car is so much faster than any car I've been in. I can't imagine what electric motorcycle is like.
4: How do you have the arm strength to hang on when you hit the throttle on that thing? Well, it's instantaneous 100% torque, right? Is that yeah. the deal with electric motors? What, whatever
3: so, amount of power you have is instantaneous.
4: Jeez. You don't almost be some have to have a seat motor. back. I mean, you've got to have a seat back to hold you on the thing, to keep your arms from stretching. I mean, you'd be walking down the street like an ape. you got arms down to your ankles I mean, okay. after a few rides. <laughs> I think that's how that works.
3: <laughs> okay, so we got this text. I think I know how Joe's going to vote, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Oh, I'm not boy. just going to do it. So we we've gotten on the topic of needles and as at the hospital and things that hurt and things that didn't hurt and things that are in my imagination and things that are phobias and that sort of stuff. We got a text from somebody about something that's pretty awful. Oh but boy. I can't I've I've read it. I'll never not think about it. Oh boy. It seems like it's impactful, but you know, we
4: don't want to be shock jocks. No. Um do is there a way to warn people to to give them some idea of what's coming without giving it away?
3: Well, it's a, it's a particular shot that was painful.
4: Oh, golly. Oh, golly, golly,
3: golly. How about if you really don't want to hear it, you turn out for, tune out for like one minute. I'll just read you the text. Was it down yonder? On the subject of painful needle stabbing, six years ago, I got infected in one of the rarest funguses in the world in my right eye. And every Friday, I had to go in and get a needle stuck in my eye five times so that we could cover or could get the antifungal medicine underneath the fungus. Oh. They had two orderlies that held me down, and it would take an hour to recover from each time because it hurt so much. Oh. And the, I the, need only counseling. Reason I, the only reason I read that is like I had some stuff they're doing to me in the hospital that I, I had to psych myself up for. I think this has to happen. You need to do it. It's not that big a deal. Just think of, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure I could get myself. The place mentally that I would drive myself to the hospital and get those shots in the eyeball, I think I'd chicken out. I suppose I'd have to convince myself, dude. Do you want to see or not? Or maybe it
4: was probably life threatening. Holy! Li- I just... Oh, I wish you hadn't read that to us. Oh, but speaking of uh, speaking of that sort of thing, I uh, heard from Marshall Phillips yesterday, our beloved newsman,
3: who had oh, a bunch of eye procedures. I, I owe him a call back. He called me. I talked to him for like thirty seconds. Right when uh. One of the big doctors walked in, and I had to let him go, and I didn't call him back.
4: Yeah, he called while I was on the elliptical yesterday. I called him back. I didn't catch him, but uh, I'd love to talk to
0: Marsh.
3: He was in a very good mood in telling me how he's moved toward the uh, cannabis edibles, and he was in a very ah. chipper mood.
4: Well, that's an so, impossible uh, uh, thing to figure out there. <laughs> 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 I've been shocked at the number of, of people I've met of, uh, of uh, achievement. Uh, people of substance who are into the edibles. It's super popular in the states where it's legal. And probably somewhere, some places it isn't. What, are you going to have busts, roadside busts, because I got two gummy beers in my
3: pocket? And it's just it's just a way to wind down at the end of the day, like a glass of wine or something?
4: Yeah, super low dose of THC, I guess. They have different blends for different needs. I haven't uh, indulged myself, but... Uh,
3: uh-huh. Because hmm. you're a good Christian man. Imagine you're strolling through a park and you overhear a middle-aged couple cooing at each other, doting over their widow sugar plum.
4: Oh, Ew. God.
3: Ew. Oh, I just vomited. Somebody get, somebody
4: get some paper towel.
3: Ew, you might reflexively think. Baby talk is cute when grown-ups dote dot on babies, but when adults converse with each other, eh, not so much. But there's a reason we do this, and this is what I found interesting. Not all couples do the baby talk, but almost all couples have a certain way of speaking to each other that's different than their normal speaking
4: that i believe sure.
3: often quieter and um and just just you know just a, a cadence a, a a tone of voice they don't use with anybody else and it's some sort of signal that you send to each other that we're 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 our own thing here we're our own thing you and me are our own thing we're not work we're not our other friends we're not Our family, you and me have this. I thought that was a really interesting explanation for why couples talk that way.
4: Yeah, you know, it's funny. What what uh, an appropriate time for me to hear this. I happen to have a conversation about bird calls the other day. Where I live, there are a lot of birds, and probably where you live too. They're everywhere. They're government drones, but they're everywhere. <laughs> anyway, and, and the guy was, uh, telling me, this guy was an avid birder or whatever, and he was telling me about how they have a chirp to announce danger. They have a chirp, and then they have a, v- a very special chirp for their mates and stuff like that. And they, wow, there it is, straight out of, uh, Oh, know, right, yeah. 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 We have special chirps for our mates.
3: But I, I just, I thought that was fascinating, because I've been in that situation many times myself, and you, yeah, it's kind of your, we're our own thing, separate from the world. Reminding just not each baby them. talk. Yeah, they baby talk. it's your so choice. So
4: sickening. It's <laughs> we didn't. We didn't use baby talk for our babies. Uh, neither did we. We I address them by name. Uh, Declan, it's time for you to rise and meet the challenges of the day.
2: Armstrong and Getty. Jack
4: Armstrong and Joe Getty. True, sure and the pressure.
3: The Armstrong and Getty Show. So the other day, as California leads America in their brilliant ideas for schooling, the University of California system, which is often called the greatest university system in the world, uh, the University of California system has done away with standardized testing because the SATs and ACTs too often yield too many white kids getting good grades, I guess. they well, the they, they Asian. They discount yes. the Asian kids. You, you take those out of the formula because that throws everything off. So too many white kids getting good grades and uh not enough uh black and Hispanic kids getting good grades. They're, they're doing away with the standardized test at the UC system. And then at uh, your regular, like, public schools, they got all kinds of they're doing away with gifted programs and all these different sort of things. And now math?
4: Yeah, they're going to detrack. They're detracking math cuz it used to be the more advanced students would work ahead, they would get into advanced math, they would head toward STEM degrees whatever. Uh kids who weren't as adept at math didn't do as well, it took a little slower pace, uh etc. And according to the new uh, California math guidelines that the uh, progressive folks have, have gotten through detracking is the plan. It groups uh, all of those uh, all of those students together to achieve equity because, well, as they point out, the tracking can unravel, oh, the detracking can unravel racial segregation inside schools. Almost everywhere, white and Asian students are more likely to be placed in higher tracks, nothing near exclusively, just more likely, with black and Latino students more likely to be placed in lower lower tracks. So I was
3: following a Twitter thread on this. There's all kinds of information out there that shows you how... The kids that go into the advanced math um, are so much more likely to go into the STEM fields, and how necessary it is to do the advanced math before you head off to another level of the STEM fields. And so, all this is going to do is uh, eventually, you know, eliminate the advanced math and these kids' opportunity to 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 use their talents. And the weird thing with the math stuff, so this is all I assume this is all built around like. You know, uh, having the right mixture of races and no- it's
4: systemic racism
3: and nobody yes. feeling bad about, uh, you know, you're in the regular math class in math particular. My experience was because I did the like the the advanced, most advanced math in high school and stuff like that. The other kids, it's not like they're. Oh, I long to be in the advanced math class. They're like, yeah, go do that, nerd. Knock yourself out. Enjoy your advanced math class. It's not like they feel. Everybody else feels bad about being in the regular math class. It's just like you have a weird quirk that this is your thing. Go ahead and enjoy
4: yourself. Well, as a not like a stigma around it. No, not, a, not even a little. As a pasty-faced white boy, I'll tell you this. I was really good at, like, algebra and then the next step. And then I just, I hit the wall when we got into the more advanced stuff. I was so relieved. Right. Not to have to take the super hard stuff. It was so hard for me. That's my point. My, my son. It wasn't my talent. It's just not where I was going in life.
3: My, my son, if he's not in the advanced math class, which is math's not his thing, he'd be like, whoo, dodged a bullet there. Fantastic. I get to be in the regular math class. It's not like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to like sports or music or some other things where you could, you could have some serious jealousy about. I would like to be in that. I remember I tried out for and didn't make one, um, special band thing in band. And that's like where the cool, good, good players were. I never practiced was my biggest downfall. Um, that would hurt your chances. It did yeah. really hurt my chances, but like that one, you know, they had some social whatever that doesn't exist with math. No. The people that aren't into math are perfectly fine with the math people going off and doing their own thing.
4: Jack, where some see a long overdue reckoning with systemic racism. Others see an unsettling and overly broad focus on matters of race and a threat to children who are succeeding in the current system says this uh, g- this woman Carol Corbett Burris who detract courses at a uh, New York school it tends to be a very complicated issue around socio socioeconomics around race, around privilege and around ableism. who is high <sighs> ability and who is wow. not Wow yeah I, I know. How, what
0: you, how do
3: you think you're helping anybody? that's what I don't get out of this stuff. This does not help
0: anyone
4: no, it doesn't it it it, uh, it is the shared misery. No one achieves, nobody's left behind its shared mediocrity and misery, which is their their uh, vision of the world. And I found this really interesting. This is something else I was reading that's related. And they, they talk about uh, New York City. de Blasio ended the gifted programs. And some of the way it was implemented, I think it could have been reformed. This, like all reporting, it's oversimplified. Uh, Eric Adams is going to uh, start it again, maybe in, in, in different ways. But then they get into the core issue. It's worth asking two simple questions, writes this uh, writer whose name is way at the top and I don't have time to scroll. When it comes to chess, basketball, piano, singing, ballet, do some children have exceptional gifts and stand to benefit from exceptionally challenging instruction? My answer to that would be unquestionably, it's such a big yes, I can't even believe anybody could even ask the question seriously. Second, does this also apply to endeavors like poetry, calculus? chemistry. And again, I would say absolutely yes. It's no great surprise that pro baseball players have exceptional eyesight. Art and music prodigies excel on tests of working memory, or elite athletes tend to be bla- blessed with fast twitch musculature. On the other hand, and then they get into this um uh, the, some of the uh, the stuff going on in California California's Instructional Quality Commission, which is in which is doing this new math thing, um, it says when pressed on whether this would stymie children with a particular aptitude or interest in math, the commission stance was perfectly clear. And I quote, we reject ideas of natural gifts and talents.
3: That's a heck of a quote.
4: Yeah. That's the people in charge of what's happening in California schools. They deny that there's such a thing as natural gifts and talents. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I know. I
3: know. Did they not have kids or raise kids or ever be around other humans? Yeah, I'm being way too narrow. Have you never been around other humans? Like you haven't been at work and noticed, well, that guy's really smart. I think he's smarter than I am. Or she's really good at blank. She's better at that than I am. You've never been around other humans that clearly seem to be just naturally better at things than you.
2: I want Ever you to, in your uh, life.
4: I want you to memorize this. I want you to write it down. I want you to get it tattooed on your upper arm, your lower arm, if you're sleeved. The capacity for ideology to blind people's common sense is infinite.
3: Boy, I thought I'd heard the craziest stuff by now doing this job, but that is crazy.
2: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my pants
4: on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I have a, a piece by Pano Connellos, who is the former president of Saint John's College, who's going to help build the. Uh, well, I should. Uh, our topic is the University of Austin, a brand new university, uh, dedicated to academic freedom, freedom of speech, free exchange of ideas, and and a huge departure from the current toxic you know, uh, atmosphere on college campuses. The guy,
3: America. the guy they chose to, uh, to run the thing from St. John's College is an interesting choice. I've talked about St. John's College many times over the years, um, because it's a college I wish I, 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 st- I still, it's like, I, I dabble with the thought of going there someday because I just think it'd be so awesome. There are two campuses. That I'm, I'm familiar with one in uh, in Santa Fe. He's from the one in Maryland. But anyway, it's the same college. And th- the reason he's the right guy for this new university is St. John's College is all based on the great books philosophy. It's just the canon of Western civilization. And you learn your math and your your science and your history and your economics and everything from reading the great books of history. Mm, and uh, and and most of that stuff and most of those people are being canceled today on current college campuses because it is an awful lot of dead white men that wrote all those books. And so it's an interesting choice to have a guy from
4: that college uh, run the thing indeed and a deliberate choice. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, he uh, the newly founded college was announced on Barry Weiss's sub stack on Monday and hundreds of college professors, hundreds of them are pleading to join that new university dedicated to free speech just hours after it was announced. I would say give it two weeks when everybody's heard about this, and it will be tens of thousands. Among those leaping at the idea, another good friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Peter Bogosian. Uh, Neil Ferguson, who he mentioned, and, and others. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if, uh, James Lindsay didn't end up, uh, teaching there.
3: Some of the biggest uh, names that have been canceled in the world. There's a woman from Great Britain. I forget her name, but she, she ran afoul of the trans police. And she is, uh, uh one of the great thinkers in her field and got booted out of her university. So trans- she's, gonna, she's
4: gonna be involved. I remember there was that, uh, one of the best known, uh, teachers of music on earth at, I think it was Oxford got cancelled because he refused to stop teaching uh, Beethoven. That sort of thing. Uh, So anyway, uh, I I thought Neil Ferguson's uh, defense, his uh, advocacy of this project in particular was eloquent, not surprisingly, because I like his, uh, his writing, but He starts with, if you enjoyed Netflix's The Chair, a lighthearted depiction of crisis-prone English department at an imaginary Ivy League college, you're clearly not in higher education. Something is rotten in the state of academia, and it's no laughing matter. Great inflation, spiraling costs, corruption and racial discrimination in admissions, junk content like grievance studies published in risable journals. Risable, a fancy word that means beneath contempt. Above all, the erosion of academic freedom and the ascendancy of an illiberal, quote, successor ideology, known to its critics as wokeism, which manifests itself as career-ending cancellations and speaker disinvitations, but less visibly generates a pervasive climate of anxiety and self-censorship. Some say that universities are so rotten that the institution itself should simply be abandoned and replaced with an online alternative, a metaversity, perhaps, to go with the metaverse. I disagree. I've long been skeptical that online courses and content can be anything other than supplementary to the traditional real-time, real-space college experience. We could certainly discuss that point.
3: Yeah, I Debatable. I took in a podcast this week in which he went into depth on that for like 45 minutes, so I was kind of surprised he is not a fan of MOOCs or any kind of online university.
4: A uh, MOOC, can you say that on the air? What is that uh, an acronym for? Massive Online... Something, something college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the idea, though. It's an online college. Um, and then to jump over to uh, Pano Canelos, that's the jet from St. Saint, Saint John's College in Annapolis, um, why they're starting one. Um, the numbers are just Amazing. Ah, uh, you know, he starts his start, his, 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 lead is so eloquent, I gotta hit it with you. Uh so much is broken in America, but higher education might be the most fractured institution of all. There's a gaping chasm between the promise and the reality of higher education. Yale's motto is Lux et Veritas, light and truth. Harvard proclaims simply Veritas, truth. Young men and women of Stanford are told, Die Luft der Freiheit weht. The wind of freedom blows, and these are soaring words. But in these top schools and in so many others, can we actually claim the the pursuit of truth? Once the central purpose of university remains the highest virtue, do we honestly believe that the crucial means to that end, freedom of inquiry and civil discourse, prevail when illiberalism has become a pervasive feature of campus life? That's some good English right there. Anyway, to get to the stats I wanted to hit, go ahead, Jack, sorry.
3: I hope this works. Um, I really, really do. the The people they've got behind it—it's a very impressive list of some of the best thinkers in the world. So it's you know it's got a good, uh, it's got a damn good start. But I don't think it's being overblown by Neil Ferguson or anybody else that the whole idea of a university is really um, uh, on fragile ground right now. I mean, uh, 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 the the idea of it lasting into the future and anybody thinking that it's worth a damn is uh is up in the air.
4: I would agree. I would absolutely agree. And I'll tell you this, um, from the perspective of a, a big fan of history, when an institution like the university system is as diseased as it is and has gone wrong as it has gone wrong, those of us who care and want to turn it into something better or turn it back to something better, we'll often be run over by the angry mob behind us, you know? The dragging professors out into the public square and beating them to death period of history is, is as common as sensible reforms. And I'm not, I'm not saying therefore universities, you need to reform or you're going to be beaten by mobs. I'm, I'm just saying that if they don't write their ship themselves, the correction might not be a really nice one. Right. Um, anyway, uh, so here are the stats I really wanted to get to. Um nearly a quarter of American academics in the social sciences or humanities endorse ousting a colleague for having a wrong opinion about hot-button issues like immigration or gender differences. Nearly a quarter of academics say if somebody disagrees with the prevailing point of view, they should be fired. Canceled! So much for Veritas and the free wind of truth. Wow. O- over a third of... Of conservative academics and PhD students say they've been threatened with disciplinary action for their views, for their ideas. Four out of five American PhD students allegedly are best and brightest, although. <laughs> I, I, and I know Jack have a bit of skepticism about the idea yeah. that they who pursue the most degrees and never wade out into the real world are our best and brightest. Mm, what's your life experience on that, so? I, yeah, right, right, exactly. But anyway, four out of five American PhD students are willing to discriminate against right-leaning scholars. Four out of five. Eighty percent are willing to discriminate against those, those ugly, wrong, fascist conservatives. Well, they've—they've, they've, you know what? They've absorbed their education well. I'll—I'll I'll give their colleges and universities credits. You credit you tried to teach them to be belligerently prejudiced, and they are.
3: So Neil Ferguson mentioned on this podcast I was listening to, and he wouldn't say the university, but he said at a major university, and he has taught at Harvard, Oxford, Stanford, all the big ones. And he said, all
4: the big Fords.
3: He said uh, at a major university. He said the president of a university told him that he gets at least one. Complaint a day of recommendation to have a a uh, a professor fired mm. from somebody complaining yeah. about something i said
4: every day. It yeah. happens. It's yeah. a daily occurrence. That's amazing. Well, that's because you know if I was paying what college students and their parents and their loan providers are paying, I'd get picky too. It's like you know staying at a great hotel and there's hair on the bed. I'm calling the front desk. <laughs> Anyway, uh, a couple more stats for you. The picture among undergrads is even bleaker. In Heterodox Academy's 2020 Campus Expression Survey, almost two-thirds, 62% of sampled college students agreed that the climate on their campus prevented students from saying things they believe. A strong majority believe that. Nearly 70% of the students favor reporting professors if the professor says something students find offensive. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, FIRE, which I support with my dollars as well as my voice, reports at least 491 disinvitation campaigns since 2000, and roughly half, about 250 of them, were successful. On our quads, faculty are being treated like thought criminals, and they go into the story of Dorian Abbott, that University of Chicago scientist was supposed to talk about space at MIT, disinvited. Because he doesn't believe the right things about the woke culture. Peter Bogosian again, philosophy professor at Portland State University, finally quit after years of harassment, physical and professional, by faculty and administrators. Kathleen Stock, professor at University of Sussex, just resigned after mobs threatened her over her research on sex and gender again i got to figure out what these people need you know if i can make some small contribution to them i am 100% uh, down you know occasionally we'll get an email saying hey you guys bring up problems all the time what do you how about solutions what what are the solutions well often the solutions are extremely difficult and complicated but in this case i'm i'm down with these people i'm going to see if we can get it up and going
3: uh, it'll be a slow process, but if they could start to get students out into, you know, higher levels of society, whether it's academics or the workplace or whatever, and employers say, hey, these young people coming out of this university aren't uh, yelling at me for using the wrong pronouns or, uh, or, or cringing in fear if somebody <laughs> you know, says the wrong thing in a meeting or whatever. We want to hire more of these people.
4: And then, you know, maybe it snowballs from there. Yeah, you might have a professor who says, I think a human with ovaries is a woman, and people without ovaries are not women, without being run out of their, their, their job. It's a hell of an interesting idea. I'm very excited that it's happening. Me too. And I the, think it's the, great.
3: And the names that are attached to it. It's just, it's absolutely amazing.
4: Oh yeah. They're serious people. This is not, you know, a couple of DJs, you know, <laughs> whipping up something for a couple of fake contributions online. Then they disappear with the money. These are serious people.
3: That St. John's college that I was talking about that I'd always kind of dreamed of going to. And I, I, I don't know that I'm smart enough to be able to do it, but so, uh, like at least the way they used to do it. And the Santa Fe campus is just, it's, it's beautiful, but that's, the classes are tiny. There aren't very many people to go to this college because they, it's rigorous. Um, but so you, you know, your assignment's going to be, uh, read Chaucer. And then so you come in next week and you sit around and you talk about it. Like there's not a paper. There's not a grade. There's, you sit around and talk at it and, and the professor decides whether you've, uh, you know fully absorbed it and understand it enough or not,
4: period. Um, that's it. I've that's, read Josser and I have not. That's the whole grading system. I, mean, that's I didn't all there is absorb much. <laughs> I absorbed several beers after I gave up in frustration. Okay, this weekend Gary read
3: Plato come in. We'll discuss it next week and at the end of the week I'll decide whether or not you uh, you pass or not.
4: See, I'd come back and announce I played with Plato all weekend long. What? Plato with a T? Oh. I didn't actually read it. I was going to guess on the test. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple choice, right?
0: <laughs>
2: Armstrong and Getty.
4: jack armstrong and joe getty but resist we must okay. the
2: armstrong and getty show
4: if you are a republican and conservative this is actually great news it's not good for the country but it's great for republicans you have editorials like this one in the uh, washington post by jonathan capehart winsome sears a black republican winning in virginia doesn't roll out rule out race is a big factor And he goes into how Glenn Youngkin won, and his election was fueled by a campaign that used a boogeyman of critical race theory to tap into the grievances of white voters. It showed that fear worked. People use fear, Political uh, politicians use fear, racial fears for political gain, but it was all coded dog whistle racism. And then he explains how they ginned up so much racial fear, the white supremacist idiot voters felt kind of good about also voting for a black woman. But that was actually in effect, not not of the fact. That she's an incredibly impressive woman, and we're lucky to have her in an office of authority. No, that has, it all has to do with white supremacy. And I found myself as a conservative thinking, keep telling everybody that. Keep saying that. Keep writing that. For goodness sakes, put off as long as possible the realization of what actually happened in that race which, as we were discussing, was partly the pitting kids against each other by race, but partly just the the Democrat politicians slavish uh, following the dictates of the unions, the teachers' union in specific. Um, and then finally, this, I want to play this for you. This is on, and I'd like to apologize in advance. I'm going to inflict Brian Stelter of CNN on you. Reliable sources is a show that's ostensibly about the media, but it's really just about, uh, repeating the cliches of CNN and their political point of view. Um, but, um, this, uh, this gal was on. And I don't have the names in front of me. I apologize. I always try to be ready for that and I misplaced them, but this gal's out with a new book about how silly all this stuff is. And she had a commentary on how the left is misinterpreting the race in Virginia and listen to the, uh, the pushback she gets. Uh, clip number 60, Michael.
2: So my, I felt that uh, Tuesday was ba- a really good uh, advertisement for my book because my book is arguing that a lot of this conversation around wokeness is actually about class. Mm. We are hiding a class divide in America. We are hiding the just disgusting levels of income inequality in America. We are hiding the total dispossession of the working class of all races by focusing on a very highly specialized academic language around race. Mm. And I, I think what happened, you know, Glenn Youngkin's victory was a perfect example of this the media's response to Youngkin's victory is literally the reason that he won, right? How did oh, they respond? On. There's a
3: hundred media's, a hundred re- reactions. You're, you're being pretty overly generalizing, I think.
2: Let, let me get more specific okay. for you, okay? Because okay. I, I have to say, I have to admit, having watched CNN all week, there's been a lot of very, very, very good genuflection on this front. Um, but what happened right after the election was, you saw host after host after host on MSNBC saying, oh, this is a victory for white supremacy, right? White supremacy wins again. Racism wins again. When, you know, the lieutenant governor that Yunkin won with will be the first black woman to hold that job. When Glenn Yunkin managed to flip majority black districts, when he managed to get between 40 and 50 percent of Latino voters. Are all of those people white supremacists? Of course they're not. They're people who are worried about number one, the economy, right? And number two, schooling. And it seems to me it is such a self own to tell people who are worried about the economy that that is white supremacy, right? Mm. You You are essentially criminalizing the views of working class Americans. And you saw the same thing with the conversation around critical race theory, right? You saw all of these pundits being like, these people don't know what critical race theory is. That is not um, a political statement. That is a class statement. Hmm. They are not educated enough to be opposed to critical race theory. How dare they oppose it?
4: Okay, I'm calling for this chick to shut up. Immediately, because <laughs> she, spe- she wrote out the how to win the next election or how to avoid losing the next election for the Democratic Party spelled out exactly what they got wrong. And and of course, the fat eunuch, Brian Selter is uh, Seltzer or whatever his name is, uh, is rejecting every bit of it. Mm, well, that's a little general, isn't it? The fat eunuch. Yes, he's well-known to be a eunuch. Anyway, I think she absolutely nailed it. Now, she's uh, probably a lefty, uh, economically speaking. She, you know, is uh, talking about the income inequality and class warfare. It's not inequality that matters. It's ability to uh, to aspire and to achieve that matters. As long as you have the opportunity to increase your income, to achieve what you want, this is a great country. Uh, income inequality is overrated as, a, as an issue. But I thought she just nailed that. What's a eunuch again? That's a uh Jack in days of old a a king a sultan would have uh young boys neutered have their testicles oh, removed geez, but that was an unpleasant process that depended they get them all drunked up it's fine um and then Barbaric. Uh, and then they would uh, put those lads in charge of various uh aspects of the palace because they knew they wouldn't get with the queen or the princesses or whatever because they had no nards and uh, and they were generally not as aggressive so they' were more trustworthy Wow yeah. I um, considered it for the staff.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh
4: that's
3: a, that's an interesting practice. Is there a good book about that? I'd like to read up on that.
4: How, oh, there are how, probably are several. How prevalent was that? What a horrible thing to do. Um, I don't know. I've never been a eunuch, but uh, I don't seems you know kind of relaxing in some ways. No, the pr- the process of doing it though, pre-anesthesia just had to be brutal. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Although the way they do it with goats, is that painful? You put a band around there, and then they just kind of... They don't seem to mind that much. There you
3: go. They walk around until they they fall off.
4: Yeah, yeah. But again, just in general, to sum it up, keep telling voters they're wrong and stupid about their most careful or closely held concerns. Yeah, see how that works for you.
6: IO/ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers and other important information.